I have spent a few Sundays in July to tell you how I came to appreciate the Westminster Confession of Faith. And I have given you some of the moments in my life because I did not just one day woke up and said, you know, I'm going to love this confession. No, there were moments in my life that God has used to appreciate this ancient document and to draw the same conclusion every Sunday that it is in your interest to study this document for it contains wisdom and mature thinking of Christian theology for actually about 2,000 years. It was written in the 1600s, but that mature theology was developed over the period of 2,000 years. To cap it off today, I am asking this question. Ever since I became a Christian, there was one question that I could not answer. That question was this. What happened to those who died before the time of Jesus Christ? What about my ancestors? who lived in the farthest of the world, who never heard about Christ, what happened to them? Because if you begin to share the gospel, especially to the people of the eastern countries, then you will encounter that question. In my country, there is a legend one of the earliest kingdoms of my country, around 80, 30s, and up to 60s, um, there is a le- legend that a woman, foreign woman, came by the sea and married one of the kings there, one of the kingdoms. Her last name was Har, but whatever the written record says was that she was from... India. So think about 80s, 30s, 40s, 50s, one of the earliest days. A ship came, and the Ayuta kingdom, as far as that, the historians could tell, that country is modern day India. But India was not United Kingdom, so whatever the region that she was from. And she, many things she brought. But one of the things that she brought was a symbol of fish. And there are reasons to believe that she was a Christian. But I don't know. Who knows? And I've seen some of the documentaries tracing that part of uh, that uh, legend. But as far as I could tell, in my own country, Christianity didn't really come in until 1784. Late 1500s, some of the Catholics came through Japan because they already had some of the missionaries who were shipwrecked in the late 1500s to Japan 
mainly from the Dutch land. So some of the Catholic priests came in the late 1500s, but it was not until 1784 that the Catholic Church sent uh, some of the priests to uh, my own country a long time ago, and the first baptized person, yes, this we are talking about the Catholic Church. So 99.9% of my ancestors, they never heard about Christ. So if that's the case, what happened to them? And what happened to the people who were born before Christ? I remember asking this question none to none other than Mind Plogman and Dick Garber long time ago when I was a church planter in, in Little Neck and they were the elders of my church. So while we were having this session meeting through phone calls, um, I've asked this question and I still remember what Dick um, my program said about that question. So, here's the question to you. Uh, what happened to them? What happened to the people who died before Christ or who have never heard about Christ because they were born in somewhere, in jungle somewhere, some remote places. They, the gospel never reached them. So, whose fault is that? What happened to them? So, this is a, a very emotional question. And I have learned from my, that my time of ministry, there are things that people could understand through their reasoning, but still reject it because their heart is not ready to receive it. So there were times that I've taught, let's say, election. I remember a Sunday school teacher who approached me afterwards and said to me, Pastor Sam, I don't believe a word you said. My own Sunday school teacher. Why? Because she just couldn't believe in such a doctrine. Even though I did my best to teach them, my Sunday school teachers from the Bible, that there is such a thing as election. So people already have a perception of certain things. So if that, whatever the answer does not agree with their own preformed answers, they reject it. And this one is a very, very difficult question, even in my own heart. I mean, I wish, I wish there could be some other way. Really, that's my heart. And um, you don't want to, I don't want to punt it, the question and say, you know, let God worry about those questions. Let us focus on Christ and do you believe in Jesus? That's standard answer that I receive. This kind of question, let God worry about that. You worry about evangelism. You worry about your own soul. But if you have done any kind of evangelism, this, you will understand. This is a very vital question. So my objective today is very, very simple. My objective today is to let you know the very question that I have posed to you 
is actually taught in the Westminster Confession of Faith. That's my thesis. My thesis is not to argue with you the answer. Answer what they provide, I will tell you. But my objective is not to give you full answer that leaves no question in your mind that I cannot do. But I am simply telling you the question is actually talked about in the Westminster Confession of Faith. So my point throughout July has been that the confession, if you actually study it, you will find answers to many, many questions that you have. And you do not have to turn to Sproul, MacArthur, Piper. You could turn to the confession and they actually contain, it contains so many questions that Christians been asking. So that's my point. The very question, what happened to those people who never heard about Christ? What happened to them? Surprisingly, the confession teaches about that. So let's turn there. Question 60. And this is only found in the larger catechism and in another place in the confession, but actually this is taught explicitly in the larger catechism. You will not find this in the shorter catechism. But the larger catechism, 60, question 60, asks this question. Can they who have never heard the gospel and so not know not Jesus Christ, nor believe in him, be saved by their living according to the light of nature. Isn't that the same question? What happened to my ancestors who never heard about Christ because they couldn't hear it? Physically speaking, they were so far removed from the place of action, Jerusalem and so on, they never heard about it. What happened to them? And they said, let's see what they, how they answer that question. And I broke it down into three paragraphs just so that we could see it more easily. Answer. They who, having never heard the gospel, know not Jesus Christ and believe not in him, cannot be saved. So that's the verdict. They cannot be saved. Be they never so diligent to frame their lives according to the light of nature or the laws of that religion which they profess. Neither is their salvation in any other but in Christ alone, who is the Savior only of his body, the church. There's a question, and there's the answer that the Westminster pastors, theologians we call divines, provided to that question. It's 1640s, but Columbus is late 1400s and early 1500s. 
So around 1500s, European Christians, they found out about the world. And if you read um, Luther, Lutheran times, Luther's times, and Calvin's times, which is about 100 years before the confession was written, 1500s, you know what they faced? The reformers in Europe, what they faced? They usually faced war, some kind of war. Always there was war. Always. Famine, not often, but famine you hear about. But you will always again hear about the pandemic. Always. Always there was a pandemic, some kind of pandemic killing people. Another thing was there was always threat from Ottoman Empire. They called them heathens or Mohammedans. So the Islamic expansion was always happening. Mongolians was 1200, so that was earlier than that. So they always had that heathens in mind, especially the Muslims. They knew they were being attacked. So they're asking these questions with the world now connected. Um, And what happened to them? They were sitting in the Westminster Abbey debating these questions and they answered it in such a way that people who have never heard the gospel know not Jesus Christ, believe not in him, cannot be saved. And they did not provide us with, un- with a back door. That's the answer. And we are going to look at some of the proof texts. How could they say that? Why would they say that? Some of the proof texts. Let's read it. Z, the last one, the, well, the first one, Romans ten fourteen. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Second Thessalonians 1, 8 through 9. In flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Next one, John eight twenty four. I said, therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins, for if ye believe not that I am he, Ye shall die in your sins. John 3.18 says, He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Let's skip to D. John 4.22 Ye worship ye know not what, We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. Romans 9, 
31 to 32, But Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, has not attained to the law of righteousness. Wherefore, because they sought it not by faith, but as it were by the works of the law, for they stumbled at that stumbling stone. Skip to E, Acts 4.12. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. About that Christ is the Savior only for the church, the proof text is Ephesians 5.23. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. An ordinary means by which Christ gathers his own church is through the preaching of the gospel. So those are the, some of the proof texts that they had in mind when they answered this question. Now what I want us to do is actually I am going to read, and I printed it out for you, a commentary by Johannes Voss. Nothing to do with Gerhardus Voss, but Johannes Voss. And there are not many commentaries written on the larger catechism. There are few on the shorter and the confession itself, but the larger catechism is really neglected by the scholars, and, and I, there's, there's, just not, there's none other than this Voss's work, as far as I could tell. But he's trying to answer the common questions that we have as we read this question and answer. So if they cannot be saved, and then we ask questions, and he deals with it, and I thought it was good, so let us read it. Let me ask, let me read and let me answer. First question, why will the heathen who have never heard the gospel be condemned at the judgment day? Answer that he provides is not because of failure to believe in Christ, but simply because of their sins. I thought that was profound. Everyone is born sinners. So, another question. Why cannot the heathen be saved by being diligent to frame their lives according to the laws of the religion which they profess? Because none of them contains the truth which sinners need. There's no gospel trace in any of those systems. Another question. If the heathen are sincere in their heathen belief, will they not be saved because of their sincerity? Sincerity has no value apart from the truth. Is it not unfair for God to condemn those who have never heard the gospel? That is the heart of the issue. It's not fair. How could you send them to hell when in fact it was nobody's fault that they couldn't hear the gospel. Answer, this is the standard Christian answer. If God owed, owed salvation or a chance for salvation to all human beings, then it would be unjust to condemn those who have never heard the gospel. But God does not 
owe any such thing to anyone. He is under no obligation to provide salvation or an offer of salvation to anyone at all. Therefore, no injustice is involved in his saving some and passing others by. But if God condemns those who have never heard the gospel, does not this amount to partiality in dealing with the human race? In his providence, God gives to some what he withholds from others. This certainly is partiality. God does not treat all people alike, but this is not injustice because God owes nobody any blessing at all. Nor is it respect of persons because whatever God's reasons for his actions may be, they are not based on deference to the character or righteousness of the persons who receive salvation. And I thought R.C. Sproul's chosen by God was the first one to talk about that. But Johannes Voss is the one who actually talks about it. That, what he's talking about in the last couple of questions that I've printed out for you is that when God saves some, that is due to his own grace. He does not have to save any, but he saves some by his grace, and when the rest is overlooked or bypassed, people get angry. How can God do that? How can God do that? But the point of R.C. Sproul's book, Chosen by God, which is an excellent book, is repeating the same answer. No injustice is done to those people who are not saved. God simply bypasses them. And they are sinners, and they simply receive what they deserve. Again, I don't think any one of us could feel the pain of the question or the reality of the people. Uh, if you believe in the reality of heaven and hell, this is a very, very difficult question. In my mind, this is the hardest question. Not that God became human. Not that Christ died for our sins. Not that Christ ascended into heaven. None of those things to me, I mean, I, I believe. But that question that we are asking is a very, very difficult question. But I've tried to show you that the Westminster Confession actually deals with it. And there are some of the proof texts. And Johannes Voss's answer, these answers are the standard answer by the orthodox uh, theology, biblical theology. One last place that the confession talks about something like this is from chapter 10 of Effectual Calling. And there they say this, Others not elected, although they may be called by the ministry of the word and may have some common operations of the Spirit, yet they never fully come unto Christ and therefore cannot be saved. Much less can men, not professing the Christian religion, be saved in any other way whatsoever 
be they never so diligent to frame their lives according to the light of nature and the laws of the religion, that religion they do profess, and to assert and maintain that they may is very pernicious and to be detested. They just closed any door through which anyone could be saved. So what are these, some of the alternatives to that answer that we have read? What are some of the alternatives people devise? And none of the alternatives are good alternatives. And, and none of them are biblical. Here are a few. Christ was revealed to the heathens through their own religion or light of nature. That's the phrase, the common sense phrase. So as long as they tried their best, God will accept them as good enough. That's what so many heathens do or pantheists do or even the, uh, many of the Catholics theology would do. Christ was revealed through Buddha or Muhammad or someone and whatever they did according to that part of revelation they are saved. But we reject that for obvious reasons. Another option is all the elect of God will be saved somehow just as we allow elect babies Go to heaven. Another question, another method to deal with this question is purgatory. But purgatory is a bit different from what they call it limbus patrum, the, the limbo of the fathers, somewhere between heaven and hell, and they get the second chance. Maybe they appeal to First Peter 4, 6. People who never heard about the gospel, they go to some disintermediary place and they either sleep, sleep dead, or they just kind of, you know, exist. And they get the second chance. I don't know if that's biblical. The last option is represented by, most recently by Rob Bell, Love Wins. At the end of the day, God's love will triumph and all will be saved and that is known to us as universalism. Let me quote his work, Love Wins, and he says this. There are a bunch of these quotations, but probably this is what many people think. Quote, I say, Has God created millions of people over tens of thousands of years who are going to spend Eternity in anguish? Can God do this or even allow this and still claim to be a loving God? Does God punish people for thousands of years with infinite, eternal torment for things they did in their few finite years of life? That represents the vast majority of the people's views. On how can loving God send people into eternal judgment simply because they 
didn't believe in Jesus or rejected Jesus, what is the what is the big what is a big deal here? God is love, and God is going to save everyone. And we reject every single alternative that I've mentioned. So it leaves us with a hard truth that apart from Christ, no one is saved. There are a couple of passages that warrant some serious exegesis on this text. Romans 2, 14 through 15. Romans 5, 13 through 14. I have not seen a serious exegesis on those passages, and I know what most people say, but that's for another day. So that's the end of discussion for this July 2023 on the Westminster Confession of Faith. And this should drive us to pray for and to share the gospel with the people that we encounter. May we be the ambassadors of Christ unto them. Let's pray.